Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast, aimed at helping you live an active, healthy, and enjoyable life in and around Spokane, Washington. Brought to you by Gordon Physical Therapy. And now, here's your host, Dr. Luke Gordon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this uh, latest episode of the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast. And I'm excited to be back again today with an actual real-life guest on the show. Uh, I know I mentioned this during the last podcast, but I think some of you might be getting tired of me just being on the show by myself and talking for 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, but I've got a real-life guest with me today. I've got my friend Sandy Nolting. She is a physical therapist and a certified yoga therapist, which I'll let her explain a little more about her training and her history later. And today's topic is going to be basically the introductory topics uh, surrounding yoga to help give you an understanding of uh, a little more of the history of yoga, what it really is, what it isn't as well, some of the misconceptions around yoga, and what it looks like to get started with yoga. So I think this is going to be a great topic if you're listening and you haven't experienced yoga before that, or you've dabbled in yoga and you just weren't really quite sure on uh, the foundational principles if you were doing it right. That all being said, uh, Sandy, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Luke. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so you've got a great, interesting history um, that we're going to dive into first. So before we get into kind of the meat of today's episode in terms of yoga, talk about the benefits, all the principles and things like that, can you just give the listeners a um, little more detail on your background, kind of how you came to be a physical therapist and how you came to learn more about yoga and were drawn to it and what your journey's been like? Certainly. I am a Spokane native, and I first thought when I got out of high school, I was going to be a physical therapist, but Eastern did not have their program accredited. So that created a little journey. I wasn't ready to leave town. So I thought, what else does Eastern offer? And I went into recreation therapy. So that was a 10-year profession for me. And I worked in a lot of settings and psychiatric at Harborview Medical Center. So that was the girl from the the country, the small school going to the big cities. That was a real eye-opener, and I enjoyed that time. And then I did continue with uh, mental health. I worked a lot with Special Olympics, uh, therapeutic recreation with the city of Spokane. But I still had that gnawing desire to be in physical therapy. I wound up at St. Luke's in the rehab center as a recreation therapist, and that perpetuated that need. So I finally did go back and got my degree in physical therapy. And this is completing many, many years of physical therapy now in very diverse settings, intensive care at Sacred Heart and in all the other specialties that are served within that setting, and then went back into St. Luke's rehab, uh, have done home therapy and have done skilled nursing care in that setting and the school districts. Uh, so I've enjoyed it. I've been joined by time at Gordon Physical Therapy too. Yoga and yoga therapy, uh, yoga is the first part of it. My introduction was just because I needed some other activity. I'd been doing Pilates and um, step aerobics and Tai Chi, and I thought, oh, I need something different. And so I took my first yoga class in 2003 and I was hooked. I turned to my friend and I said, when I grow up, I want to be a yoga teacher. <laughs> so that started my next profession. So I've, I've married that one with physical therapy because they, they really are so complementary. 
It just expanded everything that I knew about physical therapy to another level. And the profession of yoga has, they're, they're trying to get credibility and also standardization. So typically you have a 200-hour teacher training, which I have. But because of my physical therapy background, people would seek me out and say, could you work with me one-on-one? And that started in 2006. And unbeknownst to me, I was preparing myself for yoga therapy, which is becoming more of a standardized practice. All elements of yoga have a therapeutic quality to them, but when you're working with an individual that has specific needs, you're using the techniques of yoga, applying them specifically rather than what we do in a class setting. So the profession of yoga therapy is administered through an organization called the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And the criteria now is to have 1,000 hours of training. And it's very specifically broken up as to what that focus is. And there are certain schools accredited to provide that level of training. I was grandfathered in. And so I completed that criteria in 2017 because by that point, practicing from 2006 until 2017, I had amassed the more than 800 hours of contact time with individuals doing evaluations and applying the techniques of yoga to create some sort of improved outcome for those individuals. And I had it because I'm a physical therapy nerd. I had all that documented, which is what the other criteria was, because there's no way you can go back and retrospect and do that. It was just that, oh, I already have that amassed. And the Other part of it is I got 100 hours of a credit for my physical therapy license and then um, for my 200-hour training that I had originally started with. That's what it is. And so uh, International Association of Yoga Therapists, that's we're certified through them. So there is no state-level testing like a physical therapist would go through. There's no licensing. So it's strictly with the organization that we have a code of ethics, a standard of practice, and we have continuing education criteria. And eventually they do hope to um, put through a certification test that would be honored at state level. So if you don't mind, go back to um, 2003. You said you had your first yoga class. And um, I want to be fully honest and full disclosure with everyone. I still have yet to perform my first yoga class. We will eventually get you there. I know. And we're going to get to some of the misconceptions surrounding why I haven't done yoga before and a little later in the episode. But what, what was it about that first class that it kind of sounds like a light bulb almost went off for you that there was something unique about it or something uh, that was special? What was that for you? Uh, for me, it was this ability to really fine-tune the alignment and learn the muscle engagement. And I think it was at that point, I didn't have the words for it, which is often the case when people do yoga. They just have this experience and they say they like it, but they really can't verbalize it. And I think that's the way it was for me at the time. But now in retrospect, it was the duality of these oppositional actions that you create in yoga that lead to being stable, grounded in the pose. And so there's in that root of the pose, the strength of the pose, there's also this spaciousness and it it makes you feel a little 
maybe empowered or just more present, connected. Uh, so that's that's what I think was occurring at that time with the class. And it just was a culmination. It was like all these things that I try to accomplish with physical therapy, here it is. It's right here for me. Body, mind, breath together. Yeah. And I know some of those principles, like you mentioned, we're going to talk about today too. And as a PT myself, I think sometimes I think of yoga and I'm looking at the physical aspects of yoga. And for me, potentially, that's one of the reasons why I don't gravitate towards yoga Mm -hmm. because I like to run around. I like to chase a basketball. Um, But it sounds like for you, you you had that connection that yoga was more than just a physical uh, experience or a physical set of resources. Correct. Yeah. And I I don't know. I talk to runners, too. I'm not a runner, by the way. (laughs) I'm not a lot of things. And it's like, you know, the runners will tell you, well, you it's more of not just running. You get this sensation in these, you know, it's an experience. The runner's high, which I'm not saying that's the same thing as yoga, but I think it's maybe one of those things, too, that if you've never experienced it, you've never experienced it. And so far for me. That's where I'm at. Sure. Right. You, you're you not necessarily going to get an endorphin release with yoga practice. It can be a very heating practice. It can have some cardio when you're holding a pose. And they have done muscle studies on individuals to see that it is an incredible amount of work to hold in a pose, especially a one-legged stance. So that will get your heart rate up and there will be some calorie burning. But in yoga, we expect people are going to do other activities to get that sense of satisfaction with it. But I think just speaking to the the need to move, the fidgety person, it is difficult for those individuals to come to yoga because you are asked, it is a practice to learn to sit in stillness. And at the end of the practice, you lie in stillness. And people can get restless. But I think, again, it's that coming to terms with self, you know, being present in the stillness with yourself. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, I think, for a lot of people. Um, Because when I think of physical activity, I do think of the cardio effects and the muscle building effects and, and the fact that I do get an endorphin release when I play basketball. And so I think maybe for someone like me, it's a matter of just changing my mindset in terms of what I'm expecting Mm -hmm. to get out of yoga, because all the things you mentioned with being centered and being able to calm down and be still and quiet, that's also something that I value. I just, I don't think I've ever sought it with uh, something like yoga. Sure. When we get to that point, we open ourselves up to the practice. You know, there are the physiological benefits of that. We're going to talk about benefits in a moment. But when you are still, that is a reset for the nervous system. It's cellularly is when we heal, we repair and uh, decreasing inflammation. But uh, like the, the class I taught this morning, we were working on aspects of sun salutations and some of those individuals who were the very ones that had a hard time sitting and lying in stillness, they crave that ending pose. Like, is it time yet for Shavasana? So they now look forward to it because when you, when you spend the time in practice, you're burning off that nervous energy of the mind it becomes quieter and settled and you're really working the body in a very specific way with the poses, especially the style that I teach. And we'll speak to that too in a bit that by the time you get towards the end of the class, you just welcome to be able to lie there still. And it's, it's when we, it's when our brain absorbs the information. It makes sense of it during that time. Yeah. And Shavasana is corpse pose, correct? Right. Shavasana is corpse. Mm -hmm. Corpse pose is laying on your back 
Correct. Um, depending on if you have aches and pains, whether your legs supported or just flat. Right. There are lots of modifications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you mentioned the term like nervous energy, and I think a lot of us can appreciate that just in a you know day to day basis. Like, man, I just need to, especially if you like, I spend most of my working days sitting down now. It's like, man, I just need to get up and move and do something, mm-hmm. and it's the physical energy. But then you have your mind running at the end of the day too. You know, how can you expend some of that energy? And then I, I love how you position the end of yoga as kind of like the, you know, you did all these movements that are really good. We'll talk about the benefits here next, but, you know, it's really good for your mind, your body, your spirit, all those things. And now what you want to do is since you practiced it, you want it to really soak in. And that's why you have that period of stillness. Do I have that? I mean, is that pretty correct? Yes, it is. It's, that's when it's in line in physical sil- stillness, attention to the breath, that everything comes back into this unified nature. One of the studies that I really like, it was done with uh, young children. They were under the age of two. I think they were more like 18 months. So they let them play with these little finger puppet toys. And then they let one group take a nap. And the other group did not take a nap. And then after this designated time, which equaled nap time, they let the children play with the toys again. And the ones who napped were so much more ahead of the ones who didn't nap. So it was just kind of that message that, yes, lying in stillness to let yourself absorb the experience, integrate it into your being, then you can come back more efficient with it. Yeah, it makes sense. Do you have um, students in class and that will fall asleep during um, Shavasana? Is that, a, is that a common thing? Certainly. When you, when you come into the Shavasana position, sometimes you are such a busy individual that you're not sleeping adequately. You give yourself permission to lie in stillness because the teacher said, this is what we're going to do. I provided <laughs> the structure. I've given you permission. You lie in stillness and then all of a sudden the mind says, wow, you are really tired. And yes, people will lie down. They will snore. And that isn't what we want to do for the long-term practice of yoga. But when you're first new to it, I don't wake anybody up. I let them do that. Even when at the end I do signal because I'm watching the class. I'm taking care of the time factor for people so they don't have to worry about that. So I signal with the the tinksha bell or a chime at the end to so they know to come that they that we're going to end class. And some people will even sleep through that. And it's okay. We just end the class and then eventually they rouse and or I'll go over and touch someone lightly. You don't just leave them there like for a few hours. No, don't have that opportunity. (laughs) Shut the lights off, (laughs) set the alarm. (laughs) Well, why don't we segue then into uh, the primary benefits of yoga? So like we're talking about some of the physical benefits and then some of the other benefits associated uh, with stillness and the the mind-body-spirit connection. So you mind just going through some of those specific Certainly. It's pretty extensive. There's a lot of research being done about yoga. And I think especially during this time of COVID that yoga comes up a lot as something that people should consider utilizing. So stress management, anxiety, 
depression, grief. So those emotional things yoga can impact. Uh, a lot of people feel it's mostly the physical aspects, the balance, the strength, the flexibility, the motor planning, the coordination. There is the physiological as well. People do create change with blood pressure, their blood sugars, their circulatory issues, anything that's a nerve-related I don't want anybody to feel like yoga is a panacea. It works differently for everybody and how you practice, who you practice with will have an effect on that because there, there has to be a knowledge of the body and the body systems. When you are working with someone specifically for a health benefit, it's good to do that in concert with your healthcare provider because they need to know if you're adding yoga to your routine and if they feel that's safe or not safe. And then as a student, you are required to disclose fully with a yoga instructor what your medical needs might be because there are contraindications and there are precautions that have to be followed so that we don't exacerbate something. And generally, no one arrives to a yoga class with just one isolated issue. You know, it's multifactorial. And sometimes people feel like, oh, I don't need to tell them about that hip surgery that I had 15 years ago, or that I had a kind of a chronic kidney problem and it seems to be medically stable. All those things are a factor. Um, I it helps me when I need when I know about adhesions from surgeries and if somebody had TIAs or a mini stroke and maybe that's stable now, but I need to know that that was an issue because it 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 tells me I need to watch you a little more carefully about how much exertion you put into a pose. And if you're a breath holder, you know, you hold your breath when you're straining and, and such. But yes, I think inevitably, if somebody chooses to come to yoga, they may come for one reason in particular. I want to get more flexible. That's the typical one people will say, but they'll find out they get so much more. And that's why it's really hard just to give a, you will see these benefits. You will experience something, but it's unique to the person. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's a, it's a nice way to think of it because you're, there's so many potential benefits. And depending on what you're looking for, potentially that's what you're going to experience as well as some other ones that maybe you weren't expecting, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, for someone like me to go to yoga, it might be like, well, I want to come in and work on flexibility. But then you, you realize that after a few sessions, you know, you feel calmer and more relaxed and, Correct. and things like that. And one of the things that's fascinated me about yoga, um, since you joined us, gosh, has it been two, Over two years? Two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, probably have a party coming up here soon. Um, <laughs> but is watching some of the clients that I had seen in the clinic for PT and then having them come to yoga and just uh, be completely blown away by their progress. And one of them that I'm thinking of specifically is, um, I won't, I won't mention her name because I didn't ask her, mm -hmm. although she'd probably say, okay, but you know, uh, better not to in the medical field. Correct. Um, but, yeah, exactly. I have been working with her in the clinic a little bit. And then we kind of determined that aquatic therapy would be good for her. Yes. Cause she had, um, she had a nerve problem. So a pretty common nerve problem, which, you know, typically we call a sciatica type issue, mm -hmm. but either way, she had a really irritated, compressed, angry nerve that in her lower back that was shooting pain down her leg. 
So essentially what we did with aquatic therapy is said aquatic therapy is a more comfortable environment for her to exercise, get the benefits of movement, because in the water, we could decompress uh, that nerve a little bit, take a little bit of the nerve pain away. And we can do like some traction type things in the deep water and stuff. So, but even then it was, it was limited relief that we were offering her, you know, it was some relief, especially in the pool. But then of course it might wipe her energy for the next day or two. So it always came with a cost. And then she wanted to try yoga. And to be completely honest with you, I didn't have high hopes for yoga at all. I mean, in my mind, I'm saying, well, she can barely do anything in the pool. How is she going to do yoga? Yoga is, as far as I could tell, a little more strenuous. I could be wrong, so you correct me in a minute here. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was just thinking, how are you going to put her in a class on land for roughly an hour and expect to see any benefit with that nerve? And you know who I'm talking about. I you? do, exactly. Okay, so if you don't mind, so she comes back to the clinic, and it turns out that yoga was better than anything we ever offered her. Better than aquatic. She's working with a really skilled um, chiropractor as well. I don't know if she was doing some massage too, but but she had some, I mean, some pretty really skilled uh, healthcare practitioners on her team. And again, I come in skeptical saying, yeah, yoga is going to make her worse. That's actually what I was thinking. It's going to make her worse. So how does that work? Because I think she comes back saying, well, wow, my nerve pain is better. And I'm thinking, of course, in my PT brain from a physical standpoint, almost exclusively, shame on me. You know, I'm the host of this podcast. I should, I should know more. Uh, but, um, but yeah, she comes back feeling better. I'm just, I was just floored. And so from then on, I was like, well, hey, everyone needs to try it. Um, so do you mind just kind of explaining that situation and what people could learn from that? Right. That I, thanks, Luke. I tend to get quite a few individuals like that. I think one is that if you've been in someone who has had to navigate the medical stepping stones, you know, that you've had something come up and maybe there's been surgery or more than one surgery. And in order to try to make sense of that, you emotionally, that becomes your story to try to explain it, to try to convey it, to try to receive information and intervention that gets you back to a sense of feeling like a whole person. You're, you're really being segmented when you go into the medical world. And I think you lose the sense of self, that wholeness. So that's one thing I think yoga has been really nice to help people knit back together. And then the other thing, when you have trauma, when you have pain, when you have surgeries that maybe didn't go as expected, there is, you know how when you get startled, like something happens by surprise, you, what do you do? You do that, right? So it's that drawing in the air and your body responds to it. And there's kind of this upward pull in your body. I think we get stuck there. That's This is my own personal theory. And maybe there's information out there that validates that. But that startle response, whether it comes suddenly or just over time, the exasperation of trying to go through yet another day to see if you can get relief in this case for pain. Um, there's a holding and your breath pattern alters. And our breath is so directly related to our nervous system. So our breath, we can be a sympathetic nervous system breather, or we can be a parasympathetic nervous system breather. We have to have a range 
of response, right? So in science, we know heart rate variability is a measure of health. And when that narrows, we don't have as good of ability to respond to things that come up. And our breath is that way and our nervous system is that way. There's a variability range. And if you get stuck in an anticipatory, a guarding, a protective nature with your breath, most likely it's going to be an upper chest breath, which is going to be shallow, and that correlates with sympathetic nervous system. And even our nasal passages are assigned. So your right nasal passage is your sympathetic nervous system, and your left nasal passage is your parasympathetic. So when you come to a yoga practice with all of the history, whatever it might be, my style of yoga is really breaking it down. I dissect it into the elements of that, that build up into a pose. And so that provides an accessible yoga experience for someone. So I don't have to immediately go to sun salutations with the individual that we're talking about. It's like, hmm, we've got nerve pain. So I wonder if the layers of connective tissue, the fascia layers, do we have something that's a little stuck? Has it been because of the course of treatment and medications and response and lifestyle changes that were maybe a little dehydrated? We're not sliding and gliding these layers. What small little movements can I start with at the feet, at the hands, up at the head? Areas that don't get associated with her pain, I move away from it. And I move, I introduce movement in these small little planes of motion. And I add a breath pattern that facilitates that slide and glide of those fascia layers. And when we start to get then maybe some release of cellular waste material that's just stuck, and that is what maybe is aggravating the nerves, and she's expelling it because most of our detoxing, oddly enough, about 60% of detoxing cellular waste material is through the exhalation. So if you're a person who's been in this guarded, shallow upper chest breath, do you ever really do a <sighs> total emptying, letting go? And then that also ties in with the nervous system and when we can provide a range of some response, we move somebody a little bit more towards a healing platform. And it's not to say that pain can be eliminated. This individual you're talking about still has pain, but the relationship to the pain begins to change where you don't feel like you're the victim of, but you're in partnership with, and you know how to to, you know, invite it up to the table for a cup of tea rather than keeping it outside the door and being angry at it. Yeah, like I said, I was just so fascinated with her case because, you know, I think life is that way when you just don't understand something and you set the bar low mm -hmm. and then it turns out better than expected. Right. Um, and she so. did come with, you know, limits in what she could do. So mm -hmm. we we modified sitting a lot and her preferred place, actually, you wouldn't think, but she loves getting down on the floor and putting her legs up on a chair. That's her most stable and pain relieving position.
Yeah, and just to clarify, you know, we're talking with someone like her. We're talking very basic, mm-hmm. fundamental yoga. Right. We're not talking about oh, jump in and no, move she's through pose after pose after pose. Right, we're not doing that yet. We we transition sit stand, so mountain pose and chair pose. We do that, but we're not doing triangle pose or warrior two pose. Yeah, and I think um, maybe to jump ahead just a tiny bit, and then we'll come back. I think maybe that's one of the misconceptions too, which you and I talked about before the episode too, is that yoga is like, oh, you're looking to achieve certain poses and certain levels. You're actually, it's the process that has the value in it. And even if for this person, if she keeps doing the same poses the rest of her life mm-hmm. and never progresses to warrior two, Correct. the benefit will still be there. Yes. Um, whereas for me, you know, being, you know, let's say I want to improve my pull-ups. Like I want more, 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 more. doesn't really work that way in this case. So it's a different mindset. And the way I was explaining, because I her example, I really took it to heart with the other therapist at the clinic too. And I said, wow, guys, like I really, we talked about it at a staff meeting at least once. I said, as far as I can tell, one of the most understated benefits of yoga that I didn't quite get is just the regulation of the nervous, the autonomic nervous system, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned. And I've talked about this in other podcasts before too. So hopefully if you're listening at home or in your car or whatever, you've, you've kind of familiar with the terms, but you know, Sandy, you mentioned sympathetic and parasympathetic and, you know, as a gross overview, you think of sympathetic as excitatory, you know, fight uh, or flight. flight. Yeah. Fight or flight's a big one. Um, and parasympathetic is more like rest and relaxation. And, you know, you and I think of like cellular recovery, but also emotional and spiritual recovery. And, you know, when you talk about, uh, someone's pain level, you wouldn't necessarily put those two and two together. Again, I think of it in terms of a physical pain, there's pressure on a nerve root. we got to relieve the pressure. But you're also saying, man, if the nervous system is worked up, that's a holistic effect on your entire system, your entire body. And that's my favorite thing, I think, about natural health and the holistic approach is that you can have a positive impact on an entire system and not have to dive into the specific thing. And like you said, uh, you mentioned that healthcare is kind of partitioned out these days. Correct. So it's like, okay, well, let's benefit the whole system. And then watch all these other benefits occur at the same time. So if we talk to this gal, she might even say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm sleeping better and I don't feel as anxious. So all we're trying to do is have a positive impact on your sciatic nerve pain. Right. But we get these other things by working on the immune or the nervous system. So that was kind of the message I brought to the staff and probably oversimplified. But I was just like, wow, guys, if we can just get in essence, if we could just give you to calm down. (laughs) Yes. To experience that. What does that feel like and look like in your body and in your breath? And then let that synchronization to the other organ systems or body systems benefit from it. Yeah. And you mentioned another key word that I'm really a fan of lately is give them some control. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the pain may not have to be the enemy. It's something that you have to figure out how to live with and if you give people tools to have a positive impact on their pain it's so much more empowering right and and as you go through a practice like yoga then yoga is very much about like I, i mentioned earlier earlier the duality the oppositional actions that occur but the symmetry, you know, what does the left side feel like compared to moving the left side, uh, right side? And what does the upper body feel like compared to moving the lower body? Or what do these motions feel like in my back? So it's a platform that's really fascinating. As people go through the poses and we're moving slowly, they're saying, oh, 
that's the motion. That's what I do when I think I'm going to accomplish something else. As I approach that, I'm doing this little compensation or that's the sensation I get. They can start to duplicate. They become more aware of their body. And then that is a tool for either healing or for at least managing the pain so that you're not always flaring it up. Yeah. And I think there's really something to be said, uh, especially in this period in time for just slowing things down and being a little more self-aware and introspective and just kind of feeling like you're in a little more control, you know, as you and I are recording this, it's, um, October, 2020. So, you know, we're still dealing with, uh, with COVID and we're right in the middle of, uh, presidential and local election season. And I mean, you can just see the anxiety, certainly, <laughs> and, yes. you know, if you're dumb enough to go online, you can read all about it. Sorry, you're not dumb, but um, if you get sucked in, if you get sucked it, in, it, it is, it is an addictive. Yeah. It's action. very easy to do. Mm-hmm. Side note, we just watched a film called social dilemma. That was really interesting in terms of how technology is roping you in nowadays. Correct. Uh, and it was really eye opening, even for someone like me, who I, I kind of feel like I already understand that it was really interesting. So anyhow, but I think again, just that self-awareness and just, um, being intentional with movement patterns and mm-hmm. breathing and the positive impact that can have on your entire system, just because you are being intentional and you're right. doing something to benefit yourself while, you know, not focusing on so many other things. Yes, because they're usually in a yoga class, there's a lot to try to bring attention to to accomplish the poses. That's just the nature of the class, the structure of it. Yeah. And that- and it's an interesting platform to be able to witness your response to things. You know, like when you are still, does your mind go off to thinking about what you looked at online and agitation or response to it or a need to make an opinion or or manage it? But when you look at your response from this kind of objective distance that you provide yourself in yoga class, then that can be telling. Say, oh my gosh, I'm always... I'm always getting irritated about, or when I get irritated, wow, I feel that tightness in my body or in my muscles. How much crossover is there between yoga and meditation? Because I've dabbled in meditation a little bit and, you know, some of the key components with like doing this type of breath, it talked about with not controlling your thoughts, but almost just like letting them go. Mm-hmm. Like just observing your thoughts as it, they, they had this nice little actually video clip about just watch the cars go by and don't try to stop them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think when we talk about slowing down your breathing and being intentional, how much crossover is there between yoga and meditation? And are, are they, are they similar or should they be done differently? Or what's your take on that? Well, in, in the West, yoga came here in the 20th century. So yoga itself is you know, thousands of years old. Not all yoga is a physical practice. There's many schools of yoga, but in the West, we practice mostly movement form of yoga, but it still is all based in what's called the eight limbs of yoga. So an individual named Patanjali has this eight limb path. So it is very intertwined. The first two limbs of that are the kind of the ethical and moral principles that should guide our lives. And the the language of yoga is is Sanskrit. So one of those is ahimsa, non-injury. 
non-injury in thought, action, or deed towards yourself or towards others. Another one is uh, satya, honesty, you know, honesty in all that you do. And there's there's others about greed and uh, self-study, contentment. So those are the first two limbs. So there's a total of 10 of those principles. The third one is listed as asana, which are the poses, the physical practice of yoga. And the fourth one is pranayama, which is breath. It's the life force. So that's that practice of breath awareness. And the fifth one is the segue into all the remaining ones for meditation. And so the fifth one, the word for it is prachahara, which is being able to take the senses and drawing them inward. So sense of sight, touch, hearing, knowing just kind of how it settles and rather than being distracted and having to attend to everything, drawing it into the internal self and being in stillness. So, and then the, the remaining three, six through eight, are deeper forms of meditation. So the thought in this eight limb path is that one, you need to have some parameters of kind of how you're living your life and how you treat yourself and how you treat others. And then you need to burn off the nervous energy of the mind through a physical practice. You need to tame the mind corral it through the movement. You expend that energy. And when you do that, then if you're you're pairing that with the training for the breath, then it's easier to be in a focused meditation practice. But really that's the overall overarching principle of yoga is conscious awareness, understanding of yourself and how you are in the vast expanse, the universal consciousness. And that's the word yoga. The root of it is Y-U-J, yuj. And yuj means yoke or unite or join. So meditation is joining your physical presence with that ability to be with universal consciousness. That's a lot more than I was expecting. <laughs> I think, um, like you mentioned, is uh, the the third limb is what I think comes to mind when I think of yoga, which is like you said, the movement based mm-hmm. limb. In your opinion, is is that limb overemphasized in a lot of uh, you know Western yoga? Right, I think so. It's it's what's you look at the United States, and I call it fad yoga. It's you know goat yoga, beer yoga, you know, it's people like to put a twist on it. They like to market things. You know, we, we're we all guilty of it. When we study something and then a light bulb goes on, we, we have ownership more of that information, the process, and then we put our own spin on it because we interpret it then. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what happens with yoga is when when people manipulate it um, in their excitement about it and to have ownership of the information, they kind of diminish it a little bit. Like you really can't, yoga's not like a buffet table. You can't take what you want from it because it really is designed as a whole practice. And yoga it differentiates itself from a workout at the gym because yoga is not exercise. It's a process. And it's a process 
because in the word itself, yoke, unite, you're, you're uniting body, breath, mind, or body, breath, mind, spirit. It's the whole collective. We're, we're many, many layers of many things all together that make us unique. And that's what yoga addresses. So you can't really tease it apart and say, wow, if I just do this sorts of things with these moves and I slap this name on it, boy. And then some people are very dynamic and they sell it. Uh, so in the West, there really, our yoga lineage comes from forming people that all started with one individual, um, Krishnamacharya, and the, that created four different kind of strains or styles of yoga. But there are those students of those styles of yoga that then made it their own. So like the, the hot yoga, the Bikram yoga, that came out of something older and that's putting that spin of, well, if we do it in a really hot room, right? So there's so many different types of yoga. You can't really think that you're going to do them all. And some yoga practices don't involve movement. I should say that. Some are a, a practice of, um, you know, karma yoga. It's a service-oriented yoga that may have some uh, practice of of breath and sitting in stillness, more the introspective piece, but it doesn't have the movement part of it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. My, I think my well-conditioned mind tends to be, I think, especially in the Western influences, it's, it's outcome uh, oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going right. to do, I'm going to do yoga twice. A, and this is me being a PT as well. I think is that, you know, our clients come to us with a specific problem and we're providing a specific solution or outcome. And that's how the PT model works, and that's the expectation. But I think when I help put together, like, say, marketing materials and stuff, like, it, we try to emphasize that yoga is a practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, and a lot of the value is in the process and the practice. And like Correct. I mentioned the gal earlier, it will continue to benefit her if she keeps practicing it. Mm -hmm. um, just like the weights in the gym will continue to benefit your muscle strength if you continue to lift them. Right. Now, if you only commit to lifting them for six weeks, you'll get some level of result and then you'll gradually just go back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of uh, maybe the Western approach is like, well, you're doing this. And in yoga, I think it potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think especially in a Western society, yoga is about you. It's about you and your body. And how you feel. Yes. It's emphasizing that third limb, which is movement. But I think, you know, it It sounds like with your studies and going back to yoga, how it really is in its purest form is it's, it's actually about your connectedness, you know, yourself first, and then your connection to other people and the greater, you know, collective right. of people, which... Which is uh, so fascinating to me, again, I mean, to live through a period like we are now with COVID and politics and the level of divisiveness and i think how a lot of people feel disconnected from the from the greater you know collective right now right you know i think that weighs heavily on my mind a lot is like well what's you know what what am i missing or what are we missing and, and what are the solutions and i think this might kind of just be part of that it's a it's a self-care tool to and it it does help right now i i think some of my students have verbalized the ability to, one, the collective, to be able to practice, even though we're not practicing in a studio as a group. It's very small. I have one or two people in the studio and then the rest, which can be as many 10 to 20 people on the Zoom. But we've created a new 
community that way. And to go through a practice together, we're all doing the same thing in our own way with our own modifications, but grounding, connecting. And yoga is very much a cycle. I mean, the, I should back up that, you know, I said in the West, we mainly fall under the umbrella of, of Hatha Yoga, H-A-T-H-A. It's a Sanskrit. So people will say it phonetically, Hatha, because it's T-H, but Sanskrit, it is pronounced Hatha. Ha means sun, Ta means moon. And so it tells you in the name of the style of yoga, it's a balancing of opposites, right? So when we think about the divided times we live in, well, we all live collectively together. Even if we have oppositional ideas, we can we still balance each other out. So the sun and moon are very indicative of there is a cycle, right? And it's a balancing action. So that is the style of yoga. And then the other thing I think that people start to to get from it is yoga begins, at least most traditional classic yoga classes, you begin sitting in stillness, or some people have to lie down quietly with bringing your attention to your breath, drawing your senses inward. And we're, we're practicing in this present moment now. So we're not thinking about the past. We're not thinking about what's going to happen after class or next month. We're here in this moment. This is what we can deal with. And then we go through the movement practice and the breath attention. And we end the class in Shavasana, lying down. And that really, that beginning, middle, end, and the repetition of that, that's really like the course of a life, right? We're, we're born. We go through our teenage, young adult, middle-aged years. And we get into the older years of our life. And we're gone. You know, it's a cycle of a life that really to build contentment and be at peace with that, that we're here for this moment now and how many moments we have collectively is, you know, determined by whatever, but we don't get all flustered about all the other things. Yeah. That's the practice. It's, it's you know, it's an ideal, right? <laughs> I love yeah. it though. I mean, it's just, and again, I think anything that's worth doing like that, you'd have to practice it. It is. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I was just telling someone at the clinic, it's like for a while there, I was like, man, I was on my phone a lot, like watching YouTube videos. And yeah. uh, I was like, you know, only five, 10 minutes at a time. It's like, okay, that becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And then I have to like unwind myself because I know what that stuff does to my brain waves. And, right. You know, just very subtle things. It's, well, and your blink rate and your yeah. breath rate. Well, and then yeah. I tend to, <laughs> if I do uh, stumble onto YouTube, I tend to watch uh, fighting videos and stuff. It's kind of out of character for me. <laughs> I mean, that's a new thing, <laughs> but it, it's people just like, it's not like anything brutal, but it's like people right. like fighting or self-defense. Wow. That's sure. interesting. Like these guys are I mean, sure trained um, to do, but it's like, I don't know if that's having a positive effect on me. You know, I'm a pretty mellow, peaceful guy. And I do believe, like you said, in, um, community and unity and stuff. It's like, man, I'm watching two guys trying to beat the crap out of each other. I'm like, I don't, maybe on a conscious level, I think that's okay. Uh, but then I can only imagine what it's doing to the rest of my, again, my autonomic nervous You're system. Exactly. Is. <laughs> yeah. If I'm watching two guys literally try to hurt each other, that's probably ramping me up a little more right. sympathetically. And doing that startle. <gasps> yeah. They're going like, to get hurt. Yeah, you realize, yeah, when you're watching a video and a guy's about to get hit in the face, you're like holding your breath. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, uh, simple message, Luke, uh, just don't worry about watching YouTube videos. Like <laughs> there's nothing out there that you need to know. Um, and again, and I think sometimes it's hard though, to just say, 
just be present in the moment. It is very hard. You know, I'll use a, a silly example. I'm going to the bathroom. I just can go to the bathroom. But, you know, sometimes you're like, well, I should be doing something right now. <laughs> like watching a YouTube video or, uh, you know, anyhow, that's a bad example. But but it feels like that sometimes. No, no. Because why do some people have magazine racks and such in their bathroom, right? So, yeah. yeah no. Anyway, I'm not we digress. To be, supposed to be productive while I'm in the bathroom. I was like, maybe I can just sit there and think or just breathe. Just breathe. You know? Um, anyhow, <laughs> when people first start coming to your classes, and let me preface this first. So a lot of our uh, clients that we're funneling into your classes are adult clients. Correct. Um, and older adults is kind of the niche we've carved out. Um, so we're not necessarily talking about the 20, 30-year-old clients who are in really good shape, looking for more of that physical exertion type yoga. Um, so a lot of our clients are coming in. They've done some physical therapy or they're just starting. And so they have a history of like aches and pains. Uh, maybe they had a total knee replacement. Maybe they had a back surgery, a shoulder surgery. So they're coming in and fairly uh, potentially low level physically. What are the what are the key foundational aspects that you're teaching these clients when they first start? You know, within that first two to four sessions or so. Right. It's the similar to any class that I teach, but. One, it is making it accessible. So it's the component parts. And the other thing I think is that functional movement, because I'm using the yoga as a way for them to see how they move in their life. Basic act of getting up and down from a chair. So we're breaking those things down. What's required for that to be a smooth process, a smooth change of position with it. So in, in yoga, when someone comes in, there is, there is the yoga etiquette of going into a class. You know, that's separate. And that applies to any class that you would choose to go to once you found an instructor or a style of yoga that you want to pursue. In the classes I teach, you know, we, we do have a waiver process for the students to sign that, you know, you are in engaging in activity that's different and new to you. So I expect you to approach it with a mindfulness and an attitude of safety and a willingness to receive instruction to keep you safe. And then the props in the studio here are a chair, folding chair, and we use the mats and the blocks. Those are the washable items right now. I do, I've disbanded using the blankets because it requires a higher level of cleaning. And if we're using a strap, I ask people to get that on their own, a yoga belt. But we're being very creative in Zoom. So I can give you a whole list of what people find around the house for their yoga props. And then we're learning how to sit. So there's a lot of postural element, sitting posture, standing posture. And then people have to understand that just because I'm coming into yoga class, I'm not going to sit down on the floor in a cross-legged position because if I've had a knee replacement or a hip replacement, that may not be accessible to me right now. And it's not important. Um, we have to know where the sitting bones are and how the spine aligns and the weight of the head above the, the pelvis, being able to open the, sh the shoulder girdle be brought across the collarbones. So we spend a fair amount of time in the beginning learning how to sit, evaluating if we're ready to be in a different posture, a pose, like sitting down on a footstool or sitting down on the blocks closer to the floor. And then we apply those same things to standing. What is standing posture? Because those are the key ones that we begin with in yoga is sukhasana, easy pose, which is sitting, and tadasana, mountain pose. And 
that seems like, well, yeah, that takes about two minutes, right? No, those can be lifetime working on that element. And we then have to, to impose movement on that posture of sitting and standing and how to grade the motion. So I don't want people just randomly raising their arm up over their head when they have neck and shoulder issues. They might have had a neck fusion or a rotator cuff tear. They don't have the range of motion. They don't have the balance of strength and they don't have the postural support and they're holding their breath to do it and straining because by gum, I'm going to get my arm up over my head. So we learn how to grade movement and we do that segmentally at the neck, the shoulders, the torso. So all of the, the vertebrae in the spine, the pelvis, the hip, the knee, the ankle the toes, fingers. So we go through each segment and we learn about that rather than it being this mass action of movement, all hands on deck, the body's all going to accomplish this one thing because there's oppositional actions. And as we're moving, we're evaluating this idea of breath. Am I holding my breath when I move? When I move my arms away from my spine, am I inhaling or do I do that with an exhale? Do it so I do I breathe in a reverse pattern that creates resistance that I'm putting the brakes on when I move or do I breathe after? Like we practice standing up and sitting down. And that's always a fun one in the beginning because people when they sit down I'll say, "Did you hold your breath because I heard a lot of <sighs> at the end when you finally landed in the chair. So learning to support all movement with breath and the breath signals the transition with the movement. I think that probably best describes my beginning classes. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, so you mentioned basic postures, movement patterns, and just the awareness of the posture and the movement pattern. Right. And then establishing that relationship between, you know, the rhythm of breathing and moving and what happens when. It kind of reminds me of, of my basketball days, uh, just to put it in, you know, terms that I understand, sure. is that, you know, I talked a lot about the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Fundamentals is a big word in basketball. Sure. The fundamental stuff, like learning how to dribble mm -hmm. and learning how to dribble with your eyes up. And learning how to, you know, when you would call it like triple threat, you know, you can shoot, pass or dribble. Whereas if you didn't understand those just very basic fundamental aspects of basketball, you could still play. I mean, you could still go right, run around right. out there and mm -hmm. play. I mean, you just may not be that good or you may not realize your potential because you just don't understand the basic concepts, you know, before you shoot, what position do you put yourself in? You know, and so I think there's some parallels between all those things and just coming down to the very basic level before you try to build up, you know, and in, in the, the, you know, the common, I think illustration is like building a house without a solid foundation. Exactly. You, know, you got these nice walls and pretty solid <laughs> windows, and but they're going to fall down in a year or two. Um, so that makes sense. So I think one of, I think the aspects that differentiates, you know, our yoga programs from a lot of them in, in the area, you know, number one, we're gearing them towards, adults who probably have some underlying medical issues. That's kind of, again, what we're gearing them towards. Right. But then we're also saying, look, we're not just throwing you into a yoga class and expecting you to do these four or five or six poses. We're starting at such a basic level so that then you can confidently and comfortably, you know, progress. So I think that's what makes it a little different for us. And I think, um, especially with older clients, I think, and you could probably speak more to this than I can. Is there, 
Is there some level of fear for them to come into a yoga class saying, well, I just don't know if I can do it or if it's going to hurt me? Right. The anticipation that can I manage through an hour class or an hour and a half class, because yoga traditionally is 75 to 90 minute class. And you have to really be aware that you're a beginner. And really, even though I've been practicing since 2003, I'm still a beginner. I have a beginner's mind always with yoga. Each day I show up to my mat, it's a different day. I'm a different person on that day. I have different needs and different abilities. So we're not watching what the other people can do in the class and how we measure up. It's really your response to the practice. And I want people to know that yoga has all these elements to it. I can't impart it in one class. It You do have to keep coming back. It is a process to learn. But when you do get these key concepts, then it starts to make a little bit more intuitive sense how these poses that we see in the yoga magazines, how they evolve and how you can maybe do those. I'm afraid I maybe wandered away from your original question. No, that's that's just fine. Yeah, I like and You and I have talked about that before, the beginner's mind and uh, just approaching it. You know, the the poses and the movements haven't changed, but you have. I feel like I just ran across that somewhere else lately right. where, I mean, even in my you know personal life or business life, I'll, I'll read and reread the same things on a regular basis. My business coach said this once, I think he said, you could read that book in six months and the, the words in the book haven't changed, but you've changed. Right. Actually, one of his favorite quotes, he says, you know, the words in the Bible don't change. Right. You just have to keep reading it. You know, I'm not necessarily a very religious person, but the, fe- I mean, the, the message is not lost on me. Yes. Um, so I found myself the last year or so really going back to some books that I really enjoyed, you know, for my personal growth and my business growth and all those things and just rereading them and saying, wow, like you can go deeper every time. Exactly. And then you're like, wow, I learned that. And maybe you applied a little bit of it. And then you come back to that same book six months later. You're like, okay, yeah, okay. Now I can apply that version of it. Right. So again, it's the um, one of my favorite principles too is just the continuous improvement and the continuous level of growth, which you can only experience with a with a process. You know, correct. With a practice, so. And I, I think that that makes me tie back that you know we are working with individuals that are you know in that forty, fifty, and up range, and they will often say after they do yoga, gosh, why didn't I do this when I was younger? And I think it's really what you just said, that it's that first reading of the book. (laughs) If they had done yoga when they were younger and they were maybe healthier and had no injuries and no pain, they wouldn't have really have appreciated it as when they come to it now. So there's a readiness to practice. And then because it's a repeated process, it starts to take on these new shades of understanding and integration with it. Um, so yeah, I think that in, and it's, I just try to create that comfortable atmosphere for learning so people can feel that they're, they're not competing. They're not being pushed beyond their element. The, the words I'll often say are everything that I present is an invitation, 
not an expectation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to show it to you. You have the option to do it with me. But if at any point along the way, any of those movements don't settle well with you, they don't feel right, then stop. And if you need to stop the class, like you can't hang in there for 30, uh, 30 minutes or 60 minutes, then you're done. That's okay. 10 minutes, that's a start. And then maybe next time you'll get another 10 minutes or you'll get to a 12 minutes. So, yeah, which is different than some of the other classes. You show up and you think, I, I paid for this. I'm going to do this whole class. Well, sitting and watching can be as valuable as participating. Yeah. I think, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, watching and visualizing and breathing. And mm -hmm. There's a really fascinating book that I read a few years back called Psycho-Cybernetics. And it was, it was all about the power of um, really vivid visualization mm -hmm. and how basically like top athletes, top pianists, all of these top performers have been using this uh, knowledge probably probably at least since the 70s and if not before then but you know in terms of you know the best golf golf was a really common one in this book sure golf is such a degree like you just have to be a tiny degree more accurate in order to be a professional gar golfer than being just a really good golfer like this what separates you from being a millionaire golfer from someone who's just golfing out of his car it's just a degree or two. Right. Um, but how do those peak performers really get there? You know, and it's that level of focus and visualization. And uh, it's pretty fascinating. It is. To come across some of these concepts. Um, yeah, but I won't go on a rabbit hole. I've got too many of those these days. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably getting close to the end of our time. I think, you know, the next topic I had was was uh, mistakes to avoid. I think we've discussed a lot of that. Right. Um, High expectations. I think that's the main one, trying to overachieve. Yoga says effortless effort. Write that down. I like that. Stira sukham, steadiness and ease. So you have to know how far you move in a pose and where that edge is. Where do I need to come back a little bit so I feel solid and grounded in body, mind, and breath? Yeah, I wrote down too, thinking that it's just a, a mistake to avoid, thinking that it's just a physical um, practice. Correct. And then you mentioned a few times um, not comparing yourself to others. Exactly. It's not a practice of ego. We should always come to it with a humble mind and a sense of gratitude. Yeah, and one that you that I had written down before the show too, which is one of my mental barriers, because um, I'm like the least flexible person on the planet. I know I'm a physical therapist. Like I get it, but I've been this way my whole Practice life. Just what you preach. I yeah. know. And so when people mention yoga, I'm just like, ah, yoga. Yeah. Not for me. Cause I'm so tight. I mean, is that a, is that a pretty common misconception? It, it is. And generally, of course, men are more challenged in that area than women, but it can be, you know, both, both genders. And it's really through strength that we get length in muscles because it's that, um, you know, reciprocal inhibition theory, right? So if I'm, if I'm activating my quadriceps, well, my hamstrings are being signal signaled, essentially, you're not working right now. The quadriceps are because of the pairing of agonist antagonist muscles. And yoga employs a lot of that because of the engagement of 
quadriceps in a forward bend or downward dog and I get length in my hamstrings gradually through that process. It doesn't happen instantaneously, but like in class today, I have a gentleman who's been with me for a couple years now. And yes, he's tight, but we have a pose called malasana squat pose. You're squatting down. And, you know, in other cultures, obviously, they do that all the time. We just don't do that in America, which is why we have a high incident of hip replacements in this country. But we were working on that pose. So I do it at the beginning as the, let's test the waters. Let's see how you are today in this moment with that. We go through the practice and then I come back and revisit it again. So today we were revisiting that malasana pose and he could do it. And he was, his eyes got kind of big and his wife's eyes got big. And it's like, is that really the same guy over there? And it's because we spent a lot of time in class opening up the calf muscle, the ankles, because the ankles are the what prevented him from getting down and, and back up. So that's just an example of it can sneak up on you over the course of a practice or months or years of practice. You'll say, wow, I really am more limber than I once was. And I think one of the mistakes, too, that I could see myself making is thinking, well, hey, I'm in pretty good physical shape, even though I'm not in that great shape. But let's say I was <laughs> and then say, OK, well, I want to jump right into an intermediate level class. Mm, and Not a know, good idea. Yeah. Like we talked about when you're looking at, um, you know, however you like to think about it. You mentioned the eight limbs of yoga and, you know, the physical nature being just one of those. If you're looking at the overall total benefit of yoga, for me to think that I could just skip ahead. And skip all of the foundational fundamental things would be a mistake, I would imagine. Yeah, you'd be setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. That is that yoga is terrible. It's bad. I had a rotten experience. I hurt myself mm-hmm. with it. And so and yoga is not right for everybody for those reasons. You know, your nature, how what you look for in an activity. It should mm-hmm should be something that you feel maybe curious about, challenged by, interested in, willing to put the time in to do that. But if you're expecting something the first class, yeah. mm, not going to happen. Yeah. So we'll, so if you're listening, try to avoid those mistakes, <laughs> um, you know. And then the last thing I want to talk to you about, um, obviously, we offer yoga. So, and you mentioned we're doing it on Zoom nowadays. But, but for a lot of people, if they're brand new to yoga and they're just not sure what they should do, do you have a, a general recommendation on where they should start? I would talk with your healthcare provider. Not all of them know what yoga entails. So they might think that you're going to be getting into something that is over your head. But you can first just ask if they, if they, what their thoughts are on that. Sometimes people are coming because of their healthcare providers. They don't know what else to do for them. You know, they've tried everything prescriptively and they think, uh, maybe you need to go do yoga. Uh, so some people come from it from that avenue. But if you're looking for a class, I would first probably, if there's people in your circle of family and friends that are doing yoga, that would be a recommendation because if you know your family and friends and if they're having good success with somebody, that might be a place to start. Um, also kind of compare yourself a little bit into their ability level to make sure they're not steering you into something that's too adventuresome. Uh, Quite often, there is a, an opportunity to sample a class. So you can check with the studio to see if you can do that. And there is differences between not all vinyasa yoga teachers or ashtanga yoga teachers or Iyengar yoga teachers are all the same. So there's different personalities and approaches to that. And 
if you're looking at something, you have a lot of um, arthritis and joint issues and pain, or you're just stiff, uh, you might look at something that's categorized more as a gentle yoga or restorative yoga, because those are going to be slower moving classes that break the poses down. But it's, it's not a problem to contact any yoga teacher at studio and say, these are my needs. This is what I'm looking for. What do you have that would meet that? Or I would be safe in doing it. Could I come, come and observe the class? Can I come watch the class and see if that's right? Uh, so th all that conversation is fine to have. And once you sign up for a class and you realize, hmm, that's not the class, still talk to the teacher because it might be how you're hearing the instruction. If maybe they can guide you a little bit differently, help you. But don't feel like you're committed to stay in a studio either. There might be a better option. You know, potentially one of the positive things that's come out of our experience with COVID is that we've moved a lot of our classes online. Yes. You know, being being where we are and the type of clients we work with. And, and they'll continue to be online. Right. Some people yeah. just do not feel safe coming into a studio until there is a reliable vaccine and treatment interventions for COVID. So Yeah. And then, you know, balancing with state guidelines for how many folks we can put into a room. Exactly. So we've really tried to embrace it. And actually a lot of our students are, um, um, are very happy doing it Zoom. Um, I think to some extent it's more convenient they don't right. have to go out um comfort of their home exactly so a lot of people really like it and of course there's people who don't like it at all too and they would rather just have the in-person experience right and, you know get a better i think uh feel for the energy and, and everything that's going on but it's offered a unique opportunity where i think you and i even just saying well who who's our clientele that we're trying to help and usually it's just been the people right in front of us and, you know, at the clinic and saying, okay, how can we continue to help them with yoga, especially because right. they are older and they have aches and pains and, and they do have a tendency to backslide, uh, even with the gains they've made during PT, mm -hmm. um, especially like mobility based gains. So we have this unique opportunity to say, well, actually we could, you know, we have people in yoga, we could help their friends and family if they, if they're trying to do virtual yoga anyway. So if there's people who are listening, who aren't in our immediate area, do you feel like as a new yoga student, you can still teach those those foundational principles with Zoom? Is it still a good option for them to reach out to us? I Yes, right. I will give some guidelines and parameters, but... Yeah, I, right now I have someone in Vermont and I've had people in California and uh, other states. So the distance isn't a problem via Zoom. And I, I am watching people on my little, little boxes that they appear in if they open their video. Some people don't open their video. And there, you have to be willing to say, I am going to take ownership of this. Sandy has said, don't do this pose if you're experiencing this, this, and this, or stop. And I do expect people will honor that to be managing in those settings. Good, good. Well, with that in mind, um, I think we have probably a few options. Um, if people are interested in potentially doing Zoom yoga with us, whether they're here in Spokane or they're, you know, in Vermont, or I think we have people in New Jersey for a while. Mm -hmm. um, we did. Is it uh, easiest thing to do to get directly in touch with you? Or should we, I've got another, I think, uh, web offer that I could do instead. I think we should just funnel it right now all through the clinic. Okay. 
Great. Sorry, I should have talked to you about this before the uh, <laughs> before the show, but last minute idea. So, um, so what I'm doing right now uh, for those people listening, if you want to look into more information, what we like to do is every gosh two or three months we'll try to arrange a couple free yoga classes, mm-hmm. so we can just get people who are either brand new to yoga or, or new to us who are all kind of at a similar level and put them together as opposed to interrupting ongoing classes and having a bunch of drop-ins and stuff. So what I'm doing now then is I'll put this webpage in the show notes. Um, it should just be uh, our company website, which is Gordon Physical Therapy, all spelled out. So gordonphysicaltherapy.com and then backslash, I think what I'm gonna do for the URL is backslash free dash yoga. And once you go to that website, I'm going to make it hopefully very obvious for what to do next. What I'm planning now is just a web form, put in the information if you'd like to, you know, know more about our next, um, you know, two free sessions of yoga or whatever we're doing. And I found so far, we've just started doing this because, you know, it's a little bit new to us, but I think it's a really nice way to start people. It's, you know, two free sessions, see what it's about. It's very much those foundational principles we're talking about. In addition to, you know, you're doing this from home or your office or whatever, how do you get set up? So yeah, if you're interested, go to that um, webpage. Again, it's gordonphysicaltherapy.com backslash the word free dash yoga. We've got some other resources online too. We've got some YouTube videos. I'll put those links below in the show notes too. And just for to be fully clear, I'm not, I'm not recommending you just jump into yoga on your own. But if you do want to kind of see what it's like, uh, it's Sandy on the videos. So it's, you know, it's you, mm-hmm. um, you can see, um, you know, we've talked about Shavasana and courts pose. We've got some videos on that. Uh, so if you are just curious at that stage in the game, you know, go check out those videos. I'll post that link below here too. So those are some good options for people. I know we're getting long, but if you're okay, I want to do fun mm-hmm. questions before we go. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. I forgot to print them out, but I think I have them all. So fun questions. Just um, if you've stuck with us this long on the podcast, just to show our appreciation. Um, hopefully the whole podcast <laughs> has been fun and riveting. I've enjoyed it. Um, but so fun questions from you, Sandy. Uh, around the area... What would you say is your favorite activity or, or thing to do around Spokane? Well, right now, it's probably like a lot of people is to go out and walk. So we walk the neighborhoods. We've um, enjoyed the trails uh, like Slaven Park and the Palisades and Rocks of Sharon. So going for hikes and walks. You've been here for quite a while. I essentially, right. I, I grew up north of Spokane. I went to Riverside High School. So oh, yeah. any of my Riverside High School friends out there, hello. Uh, <laughs> so just north of Spokane. So essentially, yep. Shout to Riverside. That doesn't happen very often. Um, <laughs> so even though you've been around the area for uh, quite some time, is there something on your to-do list that you haven't quite gotten to yet? Well, yeah, you know, we have these little treasures around Spokane. So this might sound odd, but it was on my list last time when my sister came to visit from Texas. I wanted to go to the Bing Crosby Museum, and I didn't get there. So it's still on my list to go check that out. I've never been either, and I am such a fan of Bing. Yeah, Um, he he grew up here. And I've actually had the interesting um, scenario over the course of time working as a recreation therapist and a physical therapist. I worked with people who grew up with Bing (laughs) and and have told me stories about being in his house and playing, you know, singing and with a piano and doing different sports and things. So I thought, my gosh, it's our hometown guy. I I should know know a little bit more about him. Gonzaga grad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The white Christmas is kind of a staple for right. Christmas movies these yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. And, um, 
I, I watched uh, Holiday Inn a couple of years ago, too. Yes. It's another and classic. Another classic. I have to say, I like White Christmas a lot better. I though. do, too. Like a lot better. I, I agree. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's good. The dancing was really good. Yes. In Holiday Inn. Yes. Um, it's a Fred Astaire. Right. And then I don't remember the female dancer, but man, those people could move. Mm-hmm. And Bing, of course, can just sing. Right. He can move too, but you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So Bing Crosby Museum. <laughs> um, do you have a good book you've read recently or that you'd recommend to people if they're looking for a good read? Well, I'm mostly reading yoga books. I'll have to confess <laughs> that's um, what I do a lot of. But um, my daughter did get me Michelle Obama's book, at Christmas time, and I finally read it. It was excellent. So, kind of a biography. Yes. Gotcha. Favorite restaurant in the area? When I get to go to a restaurant again, I have not been out well, since true. February. Yeah. But and and hopefully all the restaurants will still be open and in business when we can return there. Uh, I, my husband and I like to go to Mizuna. My the special event uh, when if I get to choose a place for a special event is Wild Sage. I love that. Yeah, and you know, a plug for our restaurants. Don't be afraid to do some yeah takeout take right? exactly, or, uh, which we have been doing that Uber Eats or something like that. Right, Wild Sage. That's a good one. It is really very good food. Are you a movie watcher? You know, not not much. Um, I the Saturday Night Cinema on Channel Seven. I watched Bill and Ted's. Excellent adventure, <laughs> the original one. I hadn't seen that. Oh, nice. So I don't tend to watch, like, it's a joke. We'll go out for a movie maybe two or three times a year. I don't like um, the genre. I don't like science fiction. I don't like heavy action-packed. I like things that are a little bit more maybe autobiographical or just... The, I, I like the chick flicks. I like, like? I like, yeah, some good humor with yeah. it. Yeah. I just don't want to sit. I don't want to do that <gasps> in, in a movie. <laughs> it cause you to tighten up. I want to be entertained. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, I mean, like a good comedy, for example. Yeah. I'm talking about getting some breath going in and out of your body. And, right. Right. Um, if it actually makes you laugh out loud. And mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Well, good. Do you think we covered? Uh, I think we covered quite a bit everything? of ground. Yeah, yeah. we did. Whew. I know this was like the um, introduction to yoga right. uh, podcast, and I do think there's enough, you know, that we could go deeper again someday. So we could we probably Ex- will, especially but... those individuals who progress with their yoga and what they can find. Right yeah. now, we just need to collectively take a breath. <sighs> yeah. Parting words. Parting words. Breathe deeply. Breathe I like what deep. you said about the deep exhalation too. Yep. Sigh. Just let it all out. Get that vagus nerve activation with a sigh or a hum. It helps push you into your parasympathetic state. Very good. So for our listeners, um, if you are experiencing, you know, anything that you want to just calm down, slow down, uh, feel like you're a little bit out of control, a little anxious, uh, maybe just starting with something as simple as that. Yep. You know, just do some breathing. And um, I really like the other thing you said about just being present in the moment not feeling like you have to be doing something else or, right. you know, just live in the moment um, and hopefully enjoy the moment. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, Sandy, uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Luke. Yep. And thank uh, everyone at home or wherever you are listening. I uh, really appreciate uh, you listening as always. Um, wherever you're listening, you can leave us a good review, I guess, or a thumbs up, however that works on those 
don't think Sandy or I are very technologically advanced. Not at all. So do whatever it is, you know, give us a nice review on iTunes or Google or whatever it is. Um, tell your friends about the show and I'll leave my email at the bottom of the show notes too. So if you have any feedback or uh, ideas for future guests that you'd like to hear that are in the same general uh, genre of health and wellness and helping you stay active and mobile uh, into your adult years. I would love to hear from you. So again, thanks for watching. Take care of yourselves and don't forget to breathe. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast sponsored by Gordon Physical Therapy. To stay connected with the Stay Healthy Spokane community, visit www.stayhealthyspokane.com and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast.